Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, Bacon and Ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30, the 40, Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Hunter Burr. Good gosh, dirty. This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to the Final regular season recap edition of the Heel Tough Blog podcast. Uh, the 2020 season is officially in the books for the North Carolina Tar Heels as they finished up uh, their final game of 2020 in 2021 on January 2nd, uh, this past Saturday, against the Texas A&M Aggies. The Tar Heels fought extremely hard, a really great game, a lead uh, at one point early in the fourth quarter before Texas A&M scored 21 straight points to pull out the victory over the Tar Heels, 41-27 in the Tar Heels' first Orange Bowl appearance uh, in program history and the first major bowl appearance for the team in 71 years. And so we welcome in my co-host Josh Marlowe, who's actually here in person. Coronavirus uh, is uh, seems to be behind me, so uh, we are going to be in person uh, for the rest of the way here as we start to get into the offseason. We're going to do our award show uh, at the uh, in the next couple of days, uh, probably sometime maybe early next week, uh, and we'll be in person for that one, and we'll actually be back on camera. Today uh, we are having to uh, record at a different location than my house uh, because uh, we have some work that we're going to be uh, doing later on today. Uh, so once again, uh, it'll just be the waveform, but you guys have seemed to enjoy that uh, 
when, when we've been doing that. So we'll keep that up for you uh, whenever we have just audio editions of the podcast. But, Bud, uh, this was a game where Carolina came in very shorthanded. There were a lot of questions as to whether or not Carolina would be able to keep up with a Texas A&M team that uh, many people thought deserved the opportunity to go to the college football playoff, especially after the prior day's loss from Notre Dame where they were dominated by Alabama. Uh, but Carolina held their own. They did everything that they possibly could. A lot of young guys uh, in the lineup, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And this team came into the fourth quarter with a chance for Sam Howell and his offense to find a way to win this game. Yeah, I, I think they played better than I thought they were going to play going into the game. If you'd have told me that they didn't have uh, Michael Carter, Javante Williams, De'Ami Brown, the offensive side of the football, and the Chancellor on the, on the defensive side of the football – and had a seven-point lead in the fourth quarter, I'd tell you I'd take that because I didn't think they were going to play that well. And I think you leave the game as what we talked about going in the game. This was a good chance for us to look at what we have in the future for the program, and you can't leave this loss but nothing but with positive feelings as we get ready for next season. Now, on the the interim, uh, you would like to have seen Carolina play a little bit better in that fourth and final quarter. To win the football game, then fourth and one. If you have Michael Carter and Javante Williams, you probably convert that. I thought they should have thrown the football with Sam Howell or given him a run-pass option. And then defensively, I think that was the difference in this game is that A&M's physicality just wore Carolina down in that fourth quarter. And that touchdown run, you know, you, you failed to make a tackle and a kid sprints him something yards for a touchdown. It's really hard to come back from that. But really proud of the effort, really proud of the job that Coach Jeff did to get the team ready to play. And despite the loss, it was a good showing for Carolina on the national stage. Yeah, I mean, they let up 41 points, but this defense really showed some good signs. Eugene Asante, who was starting his first career game with Chad Surratt being out of the lineup, uh, was arguably one of Carolina's best defensive players the entire night. Finished with 10 total tackles in the game to lead the team uh, and really just you know showed a lot of signs that he is a guy that can you know cover sideline to sideline. He has good gap discipline, which was something that was hit or miss at times, believe it or not, with Chad Surratt. Um, he's a guy that, you know, again, they talked about it in, in the uh, in, in the broadcast, very similar to Chad Surratt, plays off of instinct, but has a skill set that I think is going to allow him to be a little more versatile, allow him to cover a little more space, um, and is a guy that Jay Bateman was really excited about. And, you know, uh, you look at some of the other guys that stepped up. Tony Grimes, another fantastic game for him. Two pass deflections in the game. Lockdown corner, did not allow a catch the entire night. Also had uh, the one, the, the sack that I think uh, is just still mystifying uh, with how quick he is and shows, you know, just how great of an athlete he is off the edge, being able uh, to, you know, potentially add that to Carolina's defense. That's the, about the only part of a, of the blitz package that we didn't see until this game from Jay Bateman was blitzing your outside corners. They did, and it worked out in this game. Um, but, I mean, you talk about the long touchdown run. That was, you know, one of the big signs. And you could start to see it even before that as, you know, the fourth quarter started, you know, started and, and, and even wore on that these guys were starting to get a little worn down up front. The push from the A&M offensive line, which is one of the top in the country. They're up for the top offensive line group in the country. The, the award, I can't remember the name of it. Um, but th- this is a, a group that is very highly respected throughout not only the ACC, but throughout the entire nation. And, you know, eventually it just got to Carolina. You talked about the long run by a chain. Um 
you know, you get the good block from the guys up front, but you also get a good pull block from the tight end, Jalen Wiedermeyer, uh, which end up springing the chain into open space. Don Chapman misses a tackle, and that was pretty much the end of the game for Carolina right there. Uh, you know, their offense, uh, you know, was definitely stomping a little bit late on. Texas A&M was able to get some good pressure, but, uh, you know, still, I, I think there's a lot of positives that you can take uh, all out of this game. And one of the big ones, and I think something that we talked about early in the season that we've got to revisit now, is, you know, there was some pressure on Jay Bateman after that Wake Forest game where Carolina's defense was embarrassed. And really, since then, he has had a great game plan for every single game that they played in. Western Carolina sprinkled in there, but you've got to think that this is now three straight but top ten opponents that he's had just a phenomenal game plan against, set Carolina up for a chance to win, and at this point uh, starts to you know res- restore some confidence that this is the right guy for this job at Carolina, and they should definitely not look in any other direction. Yeah, I I don't I don't think you know if, if Mac Brown would have moved on, it would have been because he didn't finish the season strong. I, I think you know he probably had that conversation behind closed doors. He probably never threatened his job, but I think Jay Bateman's a smart guy. Knows that when he got hired, look, I'm here. Mac Brown's here to win football games now. If my defense can't stop Blake Forrest, who else can it not stop? So he had to finish the season strong. And if you look at the numbers, you gave up to Notre Dame and in Miami, you gave up 31 to Notre Dame, but you played them really tough. They scored a really a garbage touchdown late to get to 31. Miami, you gave up 26, but that game was over in the first quarter. Like you weren't going to put everything into stopping them for four quarters because you didn't have to because your offense played that well and you scored 62. Right. And then A and M, you you know. You played better than I think anyone anticipated your defense playing. That was probably the best defensive game they played of the year through three quarters. Right. They looked really, really good. So if he's not on the sidelines in Chapel Hill next year, it's because he chooses not to be there. Right, right, It's right. because he Head goes – coaching job, yeah, you know, Notre Dame defensive coordinator. A better job opens up with more money or something like that, that, okay, you're not going to get mad if he does leave. Right. Whereas after Wake Forest, we were talking about, hell, we could be wanting to fire him and bring in Will Muschamp if, if, if this does and improve. So cuz that's that's where Carolina's got to take the next step if they want to be in these bowl games more often and then eventually win one. You've got the offense as long as you've got Sam Howell that you're going to make plays and you're going to be a force. You saw that on Saturday night with with even with the running of the only netted 90 rushing yards on 34 attempts, he still made enough plays with his arm to keep you in the game and can give you a chance to win the game. So you got to get, you know, take another step defensively and that's going to, you know, it, but I think you feel more confident with that with the guy you got coming in the recruiting class. You've got a lot of young talent that we saw the last four games that really showed what they can do when their roles get bigger. Eugenie Sante, it's a wonder why he has been on the field more often. It really shows you how good Chasta Rat was and has been that he was never to, a, a, a starter for the, for the Tar Heels. But, uh, yeah, you you know, I, I'm not a guy for moral victories and all that, but I feel a lot better about where this team finishes up defensively as we head into the offseason. Well, the other thing about it is, is I mean, you also got to look at it as the fact that Carolina, you know, had, was missing everybody that they were missing in this game. You were having to rotate in new starters. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I think the, the more that you saw the young guys, the guys that are recruited to fit this system – towards the end of the season, the better this defense got. And I think that's one of the big things that he's got to do going forward is, one, keep his young guys in there, the guys that fit your system. You can still use some of your veteran guys. I mean, look, there's a chance that Taman Fox could be coming back. We already know Tyrone Hopper is coming back. 
And look, they're going to be good rotational options for you. And there's still some question marks at, at, at that edge rusher position. But the more young guys that you, you know, hand recruited to fit this system, the better it is for this defense. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, that was shown. And then the other thing, he's got to keep the, the, the rotations going, especially, I think, in the front. Um, you know your your edge rushers and your your, your defensive linemen because when we saw that rotation start to become a big part of what Carolina did, which started in that game against Notre Dame, really actually it started late in the game against Wake Forest. That was where you started to see some progression from this team because you're starting to see the guys that are fresher out there and are able to put up better numbers. That's one of the things, like you said, with the Eugene Asante. Uh, you know, that was an area where, I mean, you know, halfway point, I was looking because I'm, I'm starting to do the final grades for the season. He had played five, 55 snaps the entire season at the halfway point of the year, as opposed to Jeremiah Gimmel and Chas Rad, who had played over 320 snaps. Right. You want to keep some fresh guys out there that can help your defense be as successful as it can possibly be. And that's the big part about building depth. People are like, well, we want to build depth because we want to be able to you know, have guys back there if there are injuries. No, you want to be able to have guys that when you put them on the field, you feel confident that the drop-off in talent is not going to be that big, if any, yeah. and you're going to be able to use that rotation to help keep your defense fresh. Last thing we'll talk about with the defense, and we'll go to we'll go a little more in depth to this when we when we sort of recap the season and talk about the team as a whole. The secondary is a little bit of a concern to me. Not the corners. I think they're fine out there. Tony Grimes has been just fantastic. Uh, you know, to close the season, he's a guy that you know is going to be starting next year. I thought Kyler McMichael once he came back from his injury looked really good as well. You're going to have Storm Duck coming back next year off of uh, whatever lower body injury he suffered uh, earlier this year that cost him uh, all but one game this season. Uh, so it feels like Carolina is in a really really good spot at corner, but the concern is more at safety. Trey Morrison seven ta- total tackles in this game was second on the team but also missed some very key tackles in the open field. Has struggled at times in coverage. Don Chapman, nearly non-existent in terms of helping you in run defense, despite playing 50 snaps in this game, the second most among safeties. Carolina's got, you know, I think everybody's concern is up front, can they shore up the defense, you know, the defensive front four? That's what's going to help this team become better. But I also think there are some big question marks right now at the safety spots going into this offseason. Yeah, no, I think they've, they've, they've got to get better, more efficient, whatever it is, a, a dynamic set. They need something in the secondary that's going to elevate this defense to the next level. And we thought when they moved Trey Morrison back there to, earlier in the year, maybe that was going to be a guy because he looked really well against Boston College. But that was against Boston College. And when you played the tougher or some of the better teams in the in the ACC, and of course A&M who, you know, from the SEC, you could see where Carolina's lacking in the back four. You've got maybe going into next year one of the best corner tandems in college football. Let, you know, yeah. So you, you feel good there, but you need to have someone in the safety positions that can make plays. And Don Chapman does not show you that this year. He really regressed from his freshman season to his sophomore season. And Trey Morrison, maybe some playing out of position or whatnot, but you got to get that shored up because if you fix the front the front four and your linebacker core is you know, just as good as with, with Eugene Asante, but your secondary ain't good, you're still going to have a lot of the same issues you came into this year with not being able to slow opponents down when you get into ACC games. And again, the front four is going to go into the success of the secondary as well. You'd like to see the front four 
get home more consistently. But the other thing is, is I mean, this is a team that finished with 36 sacks on the season. Yeah. So this isn't a team that did not get to the quarterback. It was just at times it would disappear when you really needed it. So I think, you know, the secondary, as much as, you know, we have the promise at corners, I think you do have to take a look there. And you've got to, especially, you've got to find somebody that can help you when it comes to playing in the box and stopping the run, losing Miles Wolfolk there was huge. Yeah. I, I don't think we really we really thought about that when he originally left. We thought, look, there's some talent back here. You know, the first game against Boston College, as you mentioned, they moved Trey Morrison back there. He looks really, really good. All of a sudden, you're thinking, okay, maybe this team is going to be fine on the back end. But yeah, as the season went along, you started to see the struggles of them being able to help stop the run at the at the second level, and you saw them struggle in the middle of the field to take away some of the slot receivers and tight ends, which you know can't all go against Jeremiah Gimmel, who had his struggles as well in coverage. But move over to the offensive side of the ball, and you know there is a, a lot to be excited about still. Like you talked about with Sam Howell, this was nowhere near his best start to a game. He yeah. was very silent early on in terms of the passing game. Carolina just could not get anything going throwing the football because they were really missing Deami Brown. But as the game went along, you saw Sam Howell step up. He made a couple of really great throws highlighted by the biggest throw of the night that he made to Josh Downs on the 75-yard touchdown that gave Carolina the 27-20 to lead. Uh, and, you know, again, he, he just continues to build a resume as a guy that is going to head into next year as one of the Heisman favorites. And you got to feel good about the fact that you're going to have him back next year because of all that you are losing. Yeah. Um, you know, Darren Rosowski made it a point that maybe the whole country has got a chance to see Sam Howell. They got to see him Saturday night. And when he Which threw we that, had three national television yeah. games this year. I don't know what he's talking about. And when he threw that 75-yard touchdown pass to Josh Downs that gave Carolina the lead, that's that's Sam Howell that we know. That's the Sam Howell that the, the country is going to know next year. He's going to be a Heisman hopeful. He'll be on the preseason boards to win the Heisman Trophy. Carolina's going to get a lot of preseason accolades. Why is that? Because you've got him coming back to school, and he will be going into next season the best quarterback in the ACC when the season opens up with Trevor Lawrence off to the NFL. Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind. The poll that they had voted on uh, the other day, Eric McLean put it out, about who's the best quarterback coming back. They say DJ Uyunglele is better than Sam Howell. I mean, look, maybe eventually down the line he is. This guy has started has started two games in his career. Sam Howell is a guy that going into next year is one of the most well-known quarterbacks in the country. And, I mean, you look on the multiple sports books for the early bettors that want to put in bets for next year's Heisman. He is either second or third yeah. on those lists. So there's a reason why you should be very confident in him coming back next year, and you, know, you look at what he did without his, you know, his deep threat. You can see where it, it did it did affect him early on. But once he got comfortable in the game, Phil Longo got comfortable. They figured out how to attack the same in defense. He showed you the football IQ to make plays. He showed you the arm strength. He, he displayed everything that you know that he is. Right, and that's all you were asking for with him without having Deami Brown. So he gave you he, he gave Carolina a chance to win. That's that's what you wanted to see, especially with the running game, not having your two one thousand yard backs, and then the fact that. British Brooks led your team in rushing. If you'd have told me that British Brooks led Carolina in rushing and they had, and they held a four point and they, and they held a lead in the fourth quarter, I would have taken that because I I think we expected more from the running game outside of what we got. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I mean, look, British Brooks is is a junior walk on. This was a guy that was never brought in and to to play this role. Exactly. And I, I thought, look, 
I thought he stepped up and played pretty well for a guy that was, I mean, way in over his head in terms of what he was brought in to do. This, th- There is nobody that when British Brooks joined this roster said to themselves, this guy's going to be starting the Orange Bowl game against a team that some people throughout the country, including the team on the other sideline, thought should have been playing for a chance to win a national championship. And he had some good runs. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the big problems was, you know, early on in the first half, the offensive line did not have a great night run blocking. They, I mean, they they were hit and miss at times. There were holes that were there. Uh, you know, at times that British Brooks was able to capitalize on. There were other times where Carolina just could not get any push up front. Uh, granted, against a really good first team defensive tackle, uh, a first team All SEC defensive tackle in Bobby Brown the third. But this was a game where you needed your offensive line to be almost perfect, and they. They just weren't. Right. And that really hurts you in terms of being able uh, to run the football as effectively as you probably would have liked. But, I mean, look, this might be a guy that could factor in next year. I would not sleep on British Brooks to have a big effect. That is, Mac Brown really loves the effort that he brings. He was a guy that was a big part of the special teams uh, this year, th- these past few years under Mac Brown because of, uh, you know, the, the effort that he plays with. So, Mac is going to give him an opportunity. Were you, like me, a little shocked that we didn't see more of Elijah Green, though? I mean, I, you know, the games that we saw him in, he looked really promising. And then in this game, a game where we thought we were going to see a lot more of them with a thinner depth chart, we barely saw them. Yeah, especially with the struggles you got with Josh Henderson, you would have thought they would have given someone else a chance to tote the rock and see if they could have gotten something going in the running game. Because I think that's what really was the biggest difference in the game was that we got so used to saying all year long, this is a run first football team. They couldn't, they couldn't run the ball the other night. And when they had to become a pass-first team without Deami Brown, without Bo Corrales, without all the targets, you can see the effect it has on this offense. So it was surprising, but I'm sure there was some reason that they didn't do it, and you just got to trust the reason well, it, why it was. His pass protection ability yeah. is the biggest concern. He never did it at the high school level. Um, it, it, down in uh, Blessed Trinity Christian, uh, they just – I mean, they're, they're you know – what I think now I don't know if they won it this year so I think they were three time state champions when he was there and all they did was run the ball he was their offense so he's not used to being able to pass protect I think that was probably the biggest concern with him Um, but the other thing that I think when we talk about that backfield is all of those guys are going to have an opportunity everybody that's already on the roster and potentially even Caleb Hood who's going to enroll early uh, will have a chance to make an impact back there because this game look it gave you a look at some of the guys I think British Brooks helped himself you know he showed that he is going to be a factor but I don't think this gave you really any concrete answers at wide receiver I guess it's a little bit different look Josh Downs is your guy in the slot now you know Toe Groves just transferred uh last night we're going to talk about some of those transfers coming up at the end of the episode uh really quickly but you know Toe Groves leaves so Josh Downs is your guy it's going to be Josh Downs more more than likely early enrollee true freshman Gavin Blackwell who are going to handle the slot uh the, the slot role uh this upcoming season but you got to like what you saw from Josh Downs in this game. Really encouraging, a guy that we heard so much hype about before the season started. And, you know, again, there are some guys here that have gotten some run with Carolina. 
You're going to get Bo Corrales back for next year. Chopri Brown, even though he drops the pass, that really, I think, changed the direction yeah. of that game and, and is something that you know is going to be hard to swallow for a while. He still showed you some really good things, especially after the catch. And you still have Emory Simmons, who was really quiet in this game, was actually trending down in my stock report after getting just one target while starting this game. But there are still some legitimate options at wide receiver. And like you talked about, Sam Howell's lacking that big play threat. They'll find that guy in the offseason. Somebody will emerge. Yeah. Somebody will emerge it, it, from it, that group. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, and, and the other good news, Garrett Walston coming back. I, he played one of the best games of his career. Four catches, ties a career high, which is, you know, kind of shocking right there. But Carolina just doesn't use their tight ends mm-hmm. a whole lot. So there's a lot to be encouraged about with this offense going forward. Did this ease any of your concerns about the fact that they are losing as much as they are in the offseason? Because, look, even though we know that Phil Longo's system has worked out well, we we are going to be at least a little bit nervous about the fact that they're losing all this production. I'm more confident because you know you've got an elite quarterback that can elevate you where you're going to need, you know, when you need him to. Yeah. So, you know, look, you're, this is a big offseason. Hopefully we can have a normal offseason for the for the program where they can get everything, all their spring work. As, and, as close to normal as yeah, you're going to get. Hopefully they can get as much spring right. ball in and stuff like that because they're going to need it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the thing is is that they've got the talent to replace the guys that they're losing. Right. This, I mean, it's a totally different feeling than – in 2016, yeah. where we lost all those guys, we were sitting there saying, "I don't, I don't know if we've got the guys that can actually replace Ryan Switzer or Matt Collins or Mitch Trubisky." This year, you feel a lot more confident with how the staff is recruited that they've got guys that can come in and contribute, and especially with the fact that we've seen freshmen contribute on both sides of the ball yeah. for this team. Uh, it's that's very encouraging. Uh, you know, last thing we'll, we'll talk about here uh, from Texas A&M before we move on and get ready to shut this thing down. Uh, you know, we were doing, we had a disagreement a little bit about uh, Phil Longo in this game. There were a lot of people that were very critical of Longo's play calling in this game. Um, you know, I think that there was, you know, with the limitations that he had with the guys that were out there, I think that, you know, the strategy was changed up a little bit. But what did you think ultimately of the game plan that Phil Longo rolled out against a and I mean, look, he, he did. I think the most he could with what he had, given what you know, what you you know, without having Michael Carter, Javante Williams, I don't know how how it was to you know. That's my you lost four thousand yards of production going into that ball game, and you still gave a pretty good effort on the field, right? And, and you were leading the game in the fourth quarter, fourth and one, the game on the line, the ball is going to be in my best player's hands, and that's Sam Howell. I would have lived with him having to make a choice, whether it was a quick throw, a run pass option, something, because you weren't getting a push up front to warrant running the football in that situation, and you get stopped short. So um, the red zone issues kind of resurfaced again, but okay, you're without De'Ami Brown, you're without your two best running backs. Right. How much does that factor into it? You just don't know. I think that was a huge factor why they took the two field goals early. To me... It looked very, very similar to the game plan against South Carolina in the first game of the Mac Brown era last year, where he didn't really know exactly what he had in some of his guys. So he said, look, we're, what did Mac Brown say in that first game whenever they showed him in the locker room? And he says this against big opponents. Keep us in the game. As long as we're in the game, give Sam a chance to win the game late. I think that's why... They were as conservative as they, as they were in the red zone. I don't think that is something you have to worry about because we saw uh, this season 
they were a much better red zone team right. this year than they were a year ago. Um, the fourth and one call, I, I, I mean, look, I wasn't as critical of the fourth and one call because it was there. It was there to be had. Henderson, ju- Josh Henderson just didn't, I mean, frankly, he just didn't execute. Yeah. I mean, look, he, you know, he, he did some things well. He's still a guy that runs hard. He's a guy that's going to probably factor into that that backfield next year, or that at least the in the preseason, he'll at least have a chance to fight for reps back there unless he transfers. But they, it, the the play was there; he just had to make it. I get what you're saying. Keep the ball in the hands of Sam Howell. Uh, I don't know if maybe that was an option for Sam. Maybe that was a, a a version of a read pass option. You just never really know with today's offenses how they work. Um, but I, I mean, the 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 other thing that I would question is, you know, what kind of play would you draw up there? The short passing game hadn't really worked all night for Carolina. You had a lot of guys that were struggling to hold on to the football. So I mean, I I I just find it really hard to be overly critical of him in a game where. He was, I mean, look, Wanda was learning on the fly as well with some of these guys. And, you know, the guys on the field were learning, but he was learning how to sort of run his offense and mold it to the guys that he had out there, which included a junior walk-on at running back and, you know, two guys at wide receiver that had never started a game. So I think that is part of the reason why he went with that game plan. Um, still, you know, I mean, look, it's it's hard to criticize a guy that put together probably the best offense in the history football uh, to that extent Uh, and who knows you know maybe some of you people that are saying that they're just tired of the you know the Phil Longo up and downs maybe you'll get your wish both guys have been rumored and you know potential head coaching jobs Um, you know Jay Bateman's a guy that you know for how long were we hearing that he was going to go to South Carolina that seems like that's probably out of the question at this point although South Carolina somehow has still not signed pretty much any staff members so uh, it definitely is a possibility but Mac Brown did say in his press conference on Monday that as of right now, he believes all of his coaches will be back for next year. That's going to be huge. Um, we'll, we'll wrap it up with a couple of news and notes for you guys. So we did mention a couple of uh, you know things uh, that did happen. Uh, Garrett Walston is going to come back next year. That was announced on Monday as well. Tamon Fox considering uh, returning to uh, Carolina next year. A guy that you know this this stat actually caught me off guard. He is tied for fifth in program history with Lawrence Taylor for the most career sacks after his sack on Saturday. Twenty. One career sacks as much as hell as we've given him for yeah. the lack of consistency. He is pretty highly ranked up there. He'd be a nice piece to come back to this defense as a straight line pass rusher, which you might be able to do a little more next year with the guys that you'll have uh, at linebacker and potentially on the back end if you make some changes that we'll be able to hold up in coverage. So we'll see if he's going to return. Uh, also, uh, Daz Newsom did announce that he is declaring for the NFL draft. He had the option. Some people were asking me why I would announce that a senior is going to the NFL draft. He did have the option, like all the other seniors, to come back for an extra season of eligibility after uh, everything that happened with uh, the coronavirus, uh, the rules that were put in place by the NCAA. He's deciding that he's going to go on to the NFL, which is probably a solid move for him. You know, he's you know in that third to fourth round area, so he's a guy that's going to be able to go in, land on a team, and potentially be able to have a pretty early impact somewhere. Uh, either as a wide receiver or a punt returner. Uh, A couple of guys entering the transfer portal. uh, Zach Gill on Sunday night, the defensive lineman. Uh, You may remember him, uh, came out of Wake Forest High School, really big recruit for Carolina back in the 2017 class. 
Uh, he was a guy that uh, was, you know, a, a high-end three-star. Carolina just never really was able to work him into their rotation, never really got comfortable uh, on the defensive line. So he will move on, uh, as well as Lancine Ture, uh, another guy. Uh, he was in the 2018 recruiting class. Uh, he's going to have three years of eligibility remaining. Never really made a big impact at all at Carolina. Uh, didn't even register a single tackle, but he's going to move on. And then, of course, the biggest one, the most productive guy that moves on is Rontavious Groves Toe. Uh, he's going to look uh, for another opportunity for his final two years of eligibility. Really uh, uh, just a great story. A guy that yeah. the first two years of his career, brutal knee injuries. There were some that thought he would not be able to play football again. Comes back, becomes a big part of this team in 2019. Of course, we all remember his biggest moment is the catch against Miami on 4th and 17 to keep that drive going, eventually leading to the game-winning touchdown for Dads Newsom in Mac Brown's first game back in Keenan Stadium. Uh, so he'll move on and uh, search for other opportunities elsewhere. And then uh, that's really it. There's some stuff that uh, will probably be coming out here on the recruiting trail in coming days. Of course, Zach Rice, uh, he's been a guy that uh, you know has been releasing some, some, I guess, news you would consider it. Pretty much uh, he's confirmed that him and Gunnar Gibbons are looking into uh, being a potential package deal for wherever they land, both Carolina and Ohio State are two teams that are heavily in the running for both guys, and those are the two teams uh, that most people think they are considering. And then he did re basically release, I guess, a top three the other day. He told Hayes Fawcett of uh, Recruits 24-7, he's a guy that – uh, makes up a bunch of graphics and everything for the recruits. You'll see his name all over the internet. Um, they basically told him that Carolina, Notre Dame, and Ohio State are the three favorites for him right now in no particular order. Um, so that's definitely a guy to keep an eye on. And there's a couple other uh, other recruits uh, that uh, Carolina is chasing after that are closing in on potentially making commitments. And we'll have you covered with that all on HeelToughBlog.com. You can go there, check out some great stuff on the website, a little more in-depth breakdown of the game against Texas A&M. We got the recap. We got the trench report. We got the stock report. Uh, those are the final ones of the year, so we're getting ready to head into off-season mode, but not before we give you one of our favorite features of the year, which will be the final grades for the 2020 season. We go position group by position group. I'll break it down. I'll give grades for each position group and break down their seasons uh, individually uh, so that you guys can read into that and you guys make your determinations as well. And then, of course, on the podcast side of things, it's about time to hand out our awards. It's going to be, uh, as we mentioned, a lot a lot funner this year because we're going to be on camera. We'll have graphics that will be made up, all sorts of stuff like that. So that will be really cool for you guys to check out uh, sometime early next week. And then we'll also start getting some guests on in the offseason. We'll have some journalists that will come on talk about this season for Carolina, what the outlook is for next season. And we're also going to try to get on a bunch of former Tar Heels once again this season like we did last offseason, which was really, really successful. So uh, the biggest thing that we have to say also about this season, and this is the last thing we'll say before we wrap it up, this was a tremendous year for Carolina football. Both on the field, going 8-4, and four, a lot yeah. of success. They go to a bowl, a major bowl game for the first time in 71 years, even though they come up short. Still a really great accomplishment for this team. But the biggest accomplishment for this team, 
They did not have a single positive test on this team the entire season after they initially returned to campus with a few guys that tested positive. They got all that cleaned up. Carolina returned to practice and never missed a practice the rest of the season. The only game that was altered because uh, on the schedule uh, for Carolina was Charlotte, and that was because of COVID issues with Charlotte. So you've really got to commend not only the players, yeah. not only the staff that's around them, but this coaching staff as well for doing a great job of keeping these guys motivated. This was just a phenomenal year. There was, you know, we, we were sitting there, what, probably a month before the season, uh, saying that, you know, why are we really doing preview podcasts? There's a chance, really a good chance, this season won't even be played. And now, here we are, 12 games later, and Carolina did everything that they had to do to be able to play uh, this 2020 season. So, uh, once again, great job by everybody around the program. Uh, and uh, to be able to get this season in was great. It was an amazing ride for Carolina. And, uh, you know, the future is looking about as bright as it has for Carolina football in a very, very long time. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. Uh, make sure uh, that you like and uh, follow the Facebook page so that you get an update uh, whenever we are putting out a new uh, edition of the podcast. Uh, you'll get that we are premiering a video. And you can just tune in and watch it whenever it comes out. Uh, this one should be out uh, probably sometime uh, on Thursday, so you guys will be able to check that out. We're recording on Wednesday, so uh, tomorrow it should be out for you guys. And then uh, also uh, make sure that you, if you're listening to the podcast, you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. The rating and reviewing helps us move up some of those rankings so that people that haven't quite tracked the podcast down just yet can do so. And the subscribing, that's for you. And when you subscribe, new episode comes out. It'll go right into your podcast uh, library. You can pull it up, listen to the Yield Tough Walk podcast whenever you want to. So once again want to thank Josh for joining me, uh, not only for today's podcast, but throughout the season, what was a very successful season for the Hill Tough Blood podcast. want to thank you guys for watching and listening this season, and as always, go Tar Heels!